Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Henry David Thoreau wrote, The price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. Thanks for clicking play. Thomas Jefferson said, never spend your money before you have it. Let's talk about the various philosophies that people apply when it comes to personal finances. Because it's important as we pursue our ideal outcome. Here inside the Ella studio, I am surrounded by books and more books and more books and more books. In fact, I'm going to have to cut back. (laughs) Yeah. That whole minimalism thing that I'm craving, it's going to require a lot of work, a lot of work to uh, ditch, give away, gift, do whatever I have to do to thin the herd on the books. And a number of these books deal with money and money management. An awful lot of them are business related, but this isn't a business kind of an episode, really. It was sparked from a number of conversations about just the way people approach money the way we approach our finances, the way we approach spending our money and earning our money. And I made a comment. I hadn't really thought that much about it, quite honestly. But I made a comment that I was just trying to cash flow life. And, of course, that sparked a little bit of a deeper conversation. And I'm like, I just it's just how I've always kind of been wired to cash flow life to just I don't think about spending money before I have it. I didn't know that Thomas Jefferson quote until I looked it up to find some pithy quotes for this episode. Never spend your money before you have it. It's a perfectly valid sentiment. Wise I didn't grow up in an era of debt and credit card. And I can't speak to whether this is a generational kind of a thing, because I do remember when there was a bit of a hubbub about credit card companies going to college campuses and giving quick, fast credit to kids in college. That didn't happen when I was in college. I mean, we, we, we scrounged around and dug under the floor mats of our cars and in the seats, cushions for gas money and, and whatever else. And we all worked. There was that. It would be sometime later before the credit card companies really got a stranglehold on America. I did not grow up. My parents were not of a generation. And early, early on, I was not of a generation where you just, here's, here's a, here's a credit card. You paid cash or you wrote checks for things and you waited until you could write the check. You waited until you could hand over the cash. And with the exception of a mortgage, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to go. I'd have to ask my parents. I should have done that before I hit record. I don't know how many people financed cars back in the day, maybe, but if they did, I can tell you that the vast majority of people, they, they financed the car and the house period. 
I do know that you could go to stores. So I was born in a small town in Oklahoma, and there were accounts. Stores would, they would extend credit. It's kind of a misnomer. It's not the credit that we think of today. So if you went to a department store, let's say, and you had an account and they put it on your account, that bill was sent to you and you paid the bill in full. It was simply just an act of convenience. They weren't really extending you credit in the sense that we think of that today. They were simply letting you defer payment. I don't know how they all did that, but I know they did. Layaway. Do you remember layaway? (laughs) I remember talking to some younger folks about putting something on layaway and they looked at me like I had grown a second head. Like, yeah, we'd, you know, you, there was something that you wanted. You went in and you basically, you stepped up for it and you paid a certain amount down and they held it for you and you, you didn't leave the store with it. It stayed in the store and they kept your money and they kept this rolling balance and you'd come in periodically and you'd make payments on it and they would give you so many days, 90 days, whatever to pay the thing in full. And when you did pay the thing in full, then you got to take it home. It literally was, they were going to lay this item away for you, hold it for you. And when you paid for it in full, they'd give it to you. (laughs) Oh, I remember. I absolutely remember buying things. I don't remember specific things, but I do remember buying things on lay away. (laughs) You don't even see the phrase anymore. You would see it on, you would see it in retail quite often. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, you'd see layaway. It was a thing. There's a Swedish proverb that says, he who buys what he does not need steals from himself. Google any, Google anything you want about personal finance, and you will see just tons and tons and tons and tons of bits of wisdom and quotes and suggestions and tips and tricks and lists of things to do lists of things not to do lists of where to put your money, where not to put your money, how to be fiscally responsible, uh, books galore. I was just scouring some of the spines of these books that I stare at every day here in the yellow studio. And there's a number of, of books about saving. There's a number of books about retirement. There's a number of books about revenue generation and income producing kinds of things. How do you approach money and what is your relationship with money? Now I'm going to admit to you that money is, I don't want to say a necessary evil, but kind of sorta for me. Money is a means to an end. I jokingly say I'm a capitalist to the core. Yeah, okay, maybe that may be an overstatement. I am a capitalist, and I appreciate the fact that we are citizens here in America, that we are citizens in a capitalistic society, although virtually every society is these days. Wasn't that way when I was growing up. The Cold War was in full effect. I grew up, we were not fearful of COVID. We were not fearful of germs so much as we were fearful of tornadoes and we were fearful of the bomb, the big bomb, somebody hitting the big red button, whatever. We supposed it was a red one and we supposed it was big. Because the explosion that it would produce, we certainly were fearful and taught that, well, that would be big. And Russia, communist Russia, I mean, they, 
They were the, the great enemy of us all. And it was communism. It was communism versus capitalism. And that was, that was my childhood. And here were these people and they, they were dressed in drab clothing. Their careers were, we were taught their careers were pretty much assigned by the state. They were given various jobs to do the opportunity for them to travel, the opportunity for them to pursue various lines of work or recreation, severely limited. How much was reality? How much was propaganda? Who knows? Both sides were extremely effective, I think, at creating the narrative that they wanted. But I knew this much as a child. I knew this much. I knew that I had freedom, and I knew that when we went to the store, there were there was an array of choices of, of everything. And that was then compared to now we hardly had any choices. <laughs> I remember going to a particular store on main street and they had just a vast array of candy and things and suckers and all kinds of cool stuff. Just cool stuff. It was one of those old, you know, wooden, wooden floors. Old school, old school. But I was just a little kid. And I mean, it was like, just to make up your mind on where, where am I going to spend this nickel? Yeah. Nickel or a dime. It was a nickel or a dime. It was no more. And where am I going to spend this? What, what, what food item here am I going to, uh, to spend this on it just seemed like a daunting task. So I knew that I lived in a country that had tremendous privilege compared to many places in the world. At least that was my worldview. Then quite frankly, it's still my worldview, but we thought first and foremost about how much money do I have? We didn't go looking. We didn't go shopping for things until we had the money. And if we did see something, we didn't, we didn't instantly go buy it quite frankly, because we didn't have the wherewithal to buy it. We do today. We have the wherewithal to just, yeah, just go, go ahead and buy it, just buy it. But I don't have the money. Doesn't matter. How many cards have you got? Split the transaction, put it on three different cards. Better yet, they'll finance it for you. Those were not options. For a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s, it, just, it was not an option. And I only tell you that to give you context for my worldview. Had I grown up in a credit card era, I would likely have a different point of view. I'm pretty happy that I didn't. I'm just pretty happy that I didn't. And I read these numbers of the credit card debt and it's just a staggering, staggering amount of money. Thinking first about making the money, earning the money, saving the money before thinking about spending the money is a novel idea for a lot of folks. It just is. It just doesn't, it's not novel for me. It's not novel at all. So when I utter this phrase in a casual conversation that I'm just trying to cash flow life and the context was at this phase of life, if you Google retirement, all you got to do is Google it once, by the way. And you're going to get inundated with all kinds of online articles and suggestions and all kinds of things about retirement. And when people typically say retirement, it's this phase of life where you no longer work, where you no longer earn income. The revenue that you do bring in, the income you do bring in will be from money you've already earned. It will be from investments. It will be from passive income but it won't be because 
you're working because you won't be working anymore. You're retired. Uh, that that's a foreign concept to me too. And as I was thinking all of this through the approach that I've got with money, you would think that that same approach, because that was also an era where you hit 65 people did retire. They did stop working. And yet that's never crossed my mind for myself. It it just hasn't. It's never been a goal. It's never been an ambition. I want to work. I want to work so many years and I want to make so much money. And then I don't want to work again. It's never been a thought, not even a passing thought. I'm just, it just does not appeal to me. Now, let me throw in kind of a third little caveat here. And this may have significance. It may not. I don't believe that a person's worth is determined by the amount of money that they make. However, (laughs) yeah, there's a huge, but coming, but deep down, I sort of confess I kind of do, I kind of do. And I realize that that sounds horribly shallow and who knows what else, but there is something to that. I, I, I need therapy. And there's little doubt, little doubt. You and I both know that a human being's value is not at all determined by their possessions. It's not determined by where they live. It's not determined by the color of their skin. It's not determined by their socioeconomic status. It is certainly not determined by their income. And yet at some visceral level, at some really emotional level, For me, I'm not judging anybody else, but I can look in the mirror and yes, I can absolutely judge myself based on what I'm earning or what I'm not earning. I'm just, I'm just pulling the curtain back. I'm just telling, I'm a truth teller. You know me, I'm, I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not saying that that's right. Intellectually, I know that it's not right. Intellectually, I know that it's completely wrong, but it is how I feel about myself. I don't look at other people that way. I don't look at somebody and think, well, I mean, come on, how smart can he be? He's only making X number of dollars because I have frankly known some really high paid idiots. So I don't suffer judging other people based on that, but I absolutely positively suffer judging myself based on that. You ever wonder about your relationship with money and all the intricacies that brought you to that relationship that forged that relationship that you have with money. I do wonder sometimes how these relationships can be enhanced, how they can be improved, how they got started, how messed up are, how messed up are most of us about money? Because see, I've never, I've never chased it. I've never chased it. Listen, I enjoy having it. It has just never, ever been the priority of my existence. And yet, I will freely confess I can, I can fret over it and I can worry about it as good as the next guy, but somebody can say, okay, you can do this and it'll pay X or you can do this other thing and it'll pay Y and Y is significantly lower than X. But if Y is something that I really, I really would enjoy doing, I'm not selling out to X. And there've been times I've hated myself for that, by the way, for making a choice that I'm thinking, you know, just, just take the money, you know, just, why don't we just take the money? And I know other people and they've lived their whole life and that's all they've done. All they've done is take the money, wherever the money goes, wherever the money's at, that's where they go. I'm not judging them for it. It's just, I just couldn't do it. I'm the guy who I couldn't climb out of bed in the morning to go do something 
that I abhor doing. I don't care how much it paid. I, thankfully, things worked out for me. I did okay. I didn't get rich. I didn't get financially independent, but I did okay. And made a boatload of mistakes along the way, financial and otherwise. But thankfully, nothing catastrophic. Didn't make any mistakes from which I couldn't recover, or at least recover somewhat. I've talked in the past about the 0708 crash and how it it cost everybody that I knew a big chunk of their investments, a third to 50%. And I've gone on record and said how thankful I am that I was still kind of in the, in the peak of my career, kind of, sort of, when that happened. But, man, there were, there were people who were, 20 years, 30 years older than me when that happened. And you just, you're just not going to have time to recover. And it's just nothing other than just bad timing. It's just bad luck, pure and simple. But our relationship to money, our relationship to savings, our relationship to debt, just all of these, all of these personal finance kinds of things. How serious are you? How, how self-aware are you of all of those things when it comes to your life? Do you think about your relationship to money or do you just kind of go with it? I don't remember when retail therapy kind of became a, a phrase, but I do remember hearing it. And it wasn't a phrase that I grew up with. Shopaholic. I, I, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear retail therapy and I didn't hear shopaholic when I was growing up. I was at the very least, I was a young adult before I heard either one of those terms where people, they go shop, they go spend money to feel better. That was a foreign concept to me. I had to be educated that that was a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. There's no question. It's a thing. I don't know if that is simultaneous to the whole credit thing and the credit card industry being born and, and taking a foothold, but probably I would suspect that they probably go hand in hand. And then at some point, you know, we begin to see these bumper stickers that he who has the most toys or he who dies with the most toys wins. And so possessions got to be a really big deal. And you could see this, you could see this shift happening between, between my being a little kid. And when I say little kid, I mean, preschool between the time that I was in preschool and the time that I entered junior high, an enormous transformation took place. Now, I was born in 1957, so that'll give you some scope and scale. So by the time we get from the early 60s to the late 60s, huge shift, a huge shift. There was a huge shift in a lot of things, none of the least of which were the sizes of our homes, our houses. Our houses got significantly bigger. I remember my dad talking about making a hundred bucks a week and when I was a little kid. And if if a, if a husband prototypical the breadwinner of the home back in that day, back in that era, not making any judgments. I'm just, come on. We're just talking historical truth here. A hundred bucks a week. And according to my dad, you, you could pretty much within reason, a family that, that made a hundred bucks a week could pretty much have within reason, pretty much anything they wanted. 
They could drive a new car. They could live in a nice house and blah, blah, blah. hundred bucks a week, $400 a month. Now the economy in America is tremendously larger than it was then. No question. Everything has changed. So this isn't, I'm not sitting here longing for the good old days and man, wouldn't it be great if you could make a hundred bucks a week now and life could be great and wonderful. Okay. It's not coming back. I'm just giving you some context here. So he who dies with the most toys and now we need bigger houses because well, guess what? We got more toys. We got more stuff and families that dad might have a, a, a work truck, a pickup truck. Mom drove the family truckster, whatever that may have been. And you lived in a house that if you were like us, a little three bedroom house might've had two bathrooms, might've had a bath and a half. The kitchens were small. The refrigerators, you know, I think back of the refrigerators, if you just stop, stop and think about the appliances. I mean, I couldn't tell you how old I was before I saw a double oven. Nobody had double ovens. What do you need? You didn't two ovens. We don't need two. We don't have two ovens. We got one oven. It's a single oven or it's a range, which means it's an oven below and on top. It's a cooktop and it's a four burner cooktop. And we've got these six and eight burner cooktops now, and they've got griddles and they got grills and, 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 and nobody's cooking. <laughs> we've got a $10,000 range and nobody's firing this thing up because, well, we're eating out all the time and there's another uniqueness and I'm only painting you some historical picture here because I, I think all of this all of this plays to shape my view of money and income and spending. Has it changed over time? Of course. I'm not living in that era anymore, but when you grow up in that era, it, I think it does impact things. Going out to eat was not a regular thing. It just was not. And McDonald's was the first kind of fast food type place. And the burgers were 15 cents. And even then it was a treat. It certainly wasn't something that you, you didn't do that every week. You certainly didn't even think about doing it multiple times a week. I, I bet my family growing up. I bet if we went out to eat two to three times a month, that was a, that was a pretty heavy, that was a pretty heavy month of eating, of eating out. Just saying our history matters. Now, I don't know what your history is. I don't know how you grew up. I don't even know where you grew up, but as I stop and think about these things, and I think about the statement that I made that I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to cash flow the rest of my life. And it was a conversation about retirement and how I don't ever plan on retiring in the sense that I don't ever plan on, I realize things can change health and all that, but I'm, I'm not speaking to you today with the plan to not generate income from work I produce. Is that precise enough for you? Oh, I'd love to have passive income and I'm not opposed to passive income, but I'm, I'm not so much hardcore chasing that either. For me, that there is absolutely something psychological of earning, earning the money. And I'm, Listen, passive income, it'd be great. It'd be wonderful. And I do have some plans to participate in it. Certainly when it comes to say short-term rental, the short-term rental business, I absolutely would love to participate in that, but completely passive, eh, 
well, it's it can be more work than people think in the way that I want to do it. Yeah, there's work. There's work involved. And I grew up, I grew up in the oil belt. My dad's people all in the oil field business. I grew up, J. Paul Getty was the guy. I mean, he, he was, he was the Warren Buffett of the day. He, he was the rich guy, super rich. I remember reading how much money he would make just while he ate breakfast because of all of the oil that he was pumping out of the ground. Now there's work involved in that, but he wasn't doing the work. He had people for that, but he owned the wells and man, as long as the oil's flowing, you're cashing checks. Well, that sounds great. That sounds great and wonderful. I just, it's just not how my head has been, has, has been wired and critics would probably say, yeah, and that's why, that's why you've never been rich. And that's why you never will be rich. And I would say, you're probably right. You're probably right. Because rich folks understand something that I clearly have never fully understood. That effort does not result in the outcome necessarily. They don't have, they don't, they don't necessarily go hand in hand. J. Paul Getty can sit there and eat a plate of scrambled eggs and make more in the time that it takes him to eat a plate of scrambled eggs than any handful of us could make working for an entire year. And I certainly understand that something about that does not seem right. Something about that does not seem fair. And I, I've got to insert here, too, that I grew up in a Christian home I myself have maintained a Christian home and there is also a biblical perspective. It's not an anti money perspective, but it is an anti don't get fixated on building wealth in this life only perspective. It's not that earning money, saving money, accumulating money is wrong or evil or sinful. I don't believe that the Bible doesn't teach that what the Bible does teach is that better not be where you put all your affection. It better not be where you focus your life, but I got news for you, nor should you focus your life on entertainment, nor should you focus your life on this or that, or the, other. you better focus your life on being faithful to God and any other priority is misplaced. Okay, well, I, I, I grew up reading those scriptures. I grew up believing those scriptures. I still, I, well, I believe them even more so today. I've had a lifetime to read and ponder and study and meditate. And I absolutely, positively, 100% believe the book. Now, you may not. That's your prerogative. And I know plenty of people Money and wealth accumulation is their God. It is what they worship. It is what dominates their existence. It just doesn't for me. Never has. And I never want to let it. That's my choice. But I do want to cash flow life, meaning I want to be able to earn my keep month after month after month after month and whatever i've got saved over here whatever i've got invested over here well that's great and wonderful and it's good to have for a rainy day because guess what rainy days come all of us endure rainy days but i'm not looking to amass some number back in the 80s it's when i first started really picking up on it i was in my late 20s and people at work would constantly talk about the number what's your number and what we meant by that was what's the number that you've got in mind the number of dollars that you want to amass over the course of your working career so that at the end of that career you can call it a day you can quit working you can 
throw your feet up on the desk and not ever hit it a lick. What's the number? And I remember, I remember 3 million seemed to be the number. Now that's back then $3 million. I need, I need $3 million. And you start finding out, well, why, why are you thinking? And they were just putting math to it and thinking if I had $3 million and I, I had some investments over here and they could return a certain percentage of return, then it would garner me the cash flow, and that would support the lifestyle that I've kind of got in mind. So that's how people would derive at a number. And people would ask me, and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't have a number. What do you mean you don't have a number? Everybody's got a number. I said, Well, I don't have one. Well, you better be thinking about it. And I said, Well, I got a, I got a question for you three million dollar guys. Have you figured out how you're going to get there? You know, cause you're, you're looking at, you're looking at a lot of guys that were making, you know, $20,000, $30,000 a year. It's like, that's great and wonderful. I mean, have you figured out how many years, have you figured out what it's going to take for you to amass 3 million? You, I mean, you do have to live, you know, you got, you got a current lifestyle that you're trying to maintain Oh, and by the way, you've also got to set aside 3 million bucks. That's don't you think that's going to kind of be tough at 30 grand a year, (laughs) get a bunch of blank stares back, you know, like a bunch of cattle looking at you. I thought it was a good question. And after a few minutes of silence, I would say that's, that's why I don't have a number. Cause I, I, I can't, I can't get my head wrapped around that. My whole future is going to depend on some number that quite frankly, I didn't use the word fictitious. I think I use the word fantastical. It's just a fantastical number. It, you might as well make it 10 because <laughs> you got as much shot of, of accumulating 3 million as you do 10 million. So let's go for 10, shall we? I just, I never, I, I just didn't think about it. You know, I wanted to have enough over there. So if the hot water heater blew up, it wouldn't sink us. You know, we could get another one. And I have learned so many people are one hot water heater disaster away from financial ruin and disaster. I'm sad about it. I I don't have an answer. I'm not trying to solve all the world's personal financial problems here. I'm not, what's her name? Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey, or I'm, I'm, I'm none of those people. I probably do have a, a book or two by either one or both of them. I know I've got some, I know I've got total money makeover, which is still, is still a rock solid book. And the financial, those, those financial books, cause I've, I've got some old ones. They're, they're pretty interesting too. It's pretty interesting to see if, if you have a book that was written in the sixties or seventies or even eighties on personal finance and you go buy it, I don't care. Look on the bestseller list or whatever the best selling personal finance book is today. Hold that side by side to a book that was written in the eighties much less the sixties. It's, it's going to be very different. Very, very. And I get it. Come on. The world has changed. The rules of the world have changed. I understand. It all speaks to our view of money, how we think about money, how we think about making money, how we think about spending money. And I tell you the elephant in the room, the elephant in the room for me is absolutely the comparisons that we make it's somebody says that they're doing this and we're like, man, alive, how are they doing that? And, and, and now begins the comparison game. Somebody was talking about buying a piece of property the other day. They were actually talking about, there was some property that was adjacent to their property and they were thinking about buying that property. And it sparked another conversation with somebody who's like, man, how are, I mean, in this economy, how, how are they with real estate prices just soaring? How are they wonder how they're doing that? 
I'm like, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. Don't, I know nothing about their financial circumstance or situation. Now, of course, the person I'm talking to is presupposing that they were just going to go pay cash for it. Well, I said, I, I, how would you know that? I mean, we don't even, number one, we don't even know this person. So I, I certainly don't pretend to know their personal financials. Are they going in debt? Are they not going in debt? And then you run across other people and they start talking about how they have this and they have that, and they've got this other, and they've got this lake house and they've got this boat and they've got this RV and they got this and they got that and they got the other. And if you just shut up long enough and people keep talking, you realize that none of it, absolutely none of it is owned outright. There's payments on all of it. Now I've gone on record. And I will maintain this probably to my dying breath. What do I care? It's their money. I do think it behooves us individually and collectively to be as fiscally responsible as we can. And I preach that here. I advocate that. However, it's not my money. I'm not making it. So I don't, I don't have a vote in how to spend it. It's their money. If they want to take on debt, I wouldn't but it's not my life. I sit here and I can do the same thing you do. I can project my life in their circumstance. And I can think that they've got, well, two handfuls don't catch it. You're going to have to use your fingers and your toes to count the monthly payments that they have on all of the various holdings that they've got all the various toys that they've got and it just it's just daunting to a guy like me i I look at that and i think oh i would just i I, there's no way i could i can't sleep at night as it is (laughs) there's no way i could sleep at night so we owe this much and we owe this much and we owe this much on that and this much on that and we got you know it's have you ever worked with somebody that worked the float? They knew when bills would come due. And it's just this constant act of robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of a thing. Huh. I know people that's their, that is the game they play. That is the, that's just how they live their life. And I was thinking shortly after I made the comment about me trying to cash flow my life, because it's just, it's just what I've always done. We can either afford it or we can't afford it. And for whatever reason, shortly after I made that comment, I got to thinking about a few people that I've known over the course of my life who just prided themselves on how perfectly they could time the float. And I'm like, I I wouldn't even know where to begin to try to live that way. Well, I, I have zero motivation to live that way, but just just trying to just cut it to a razor's edge you know of okay make this payment and okay that'll that'll clear that'll clear and then i can buy some time on this other it's like is any possession worth that to me the answer is a resounding no there there's not a single possession of any kind would be worth that to me but i'm not them of course i'm judging them as being ninnies and as being foolish because they are but as far as judging them you know to have some input on how they listen if they want to be foolish they can be foolish you and i both know there's a collective price to be paid for that i knew somebody once and they were already predetermining that they were going to declare bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy. And they, they absolutely went on a spending frenzy. Now I certainly, this was back in the early eighties. I knew nothing then and really don't know much now about bankruptcy laws, thankfully, but they had researched it best. I could tell they claimed they had, and they Absolutely. Just you talk about retail therapy. Well, 
they exhausted the therapeutic remedy that, <laughs> that possessions provide and declared bankruptcy and pretty much celebrated life. And I kept thinking of these poor merchants and these other people who were never going to get paid. And it's like, that's just, that's just not right. Sorry. It's just not right. Not right at all. But maybe I digress. It's just fascinating to me. All the various ways that we can look at money, the way that we can look at making money, the way we can look at spending money and for me, it's very simple. I want to make a certain number a month, and it's not a stupid number. It's a rather modest number. I told my wife just last night, I said, it's way easier. It's way easier to pursue four or five or six times that amount. <laughs> I mean, historically, it has been. And then I kind of got to chuckling to myself about that, that the number, the 3 million and me telling some friends and acquaintances, you might as well pursue 10. And I thought to myself, I'm stupid for pursuing the number I'm pursuing as far as a monthly income. I'm, I might as well pursue four times that because <laughs> I'm just reverse engineering it. Right, which is what I think the majority of us do. You're thinking, okay, well, here's how I want to live. How much is that? How much is it going to take? Okay, well, it's going to take X. Okay, it's going to take a thousand dollars. It's going to take five thousand dollars. It's going to take ten. Whatever it takes is whatever it takes. Okay, well then that's what I need. That's what I need to earn. Okay, well if that number is pick a number. If that number is a thousand dollars, it won't be. But if it's a thousand dollars, just for grins and giggles. Well, why not pursue four times that four grand, but I only need one. Eh, go ahead and make four sock the other three away. Huh. Do you think like, do you think like that? See, I sometimes wish I did, but I don't, huh. I don't, I don't. There've been very, very few times in my life that I was, you know, very mercenary. There've been a few, but not very many at all. Well, let me qualify it. So I start out and I'm selling hi-fi equipment and you make commission and certain things paid a higher commission. Well, that wasn't lost on me. I knew that. And so if somebody came in looking for loudspeakers, let's say, and there's, there's bigger markup in loudspeakers than there are electronics. That has historically always been true. Okay. Well, of course, of course, you know, I would get jazzed if somebody came in I'm, I'm here to look at loudspeakers and inside you're thinking, yes, yes. So I was mercenary like that, but I wasn't mercenary in the sense of, okay, they're looking at speakers and I'm going to, let's see if I can sell them that pair, I'll make $10 more than this. No, never crossed my mind. The only thing that was on my mind is what do they want to listen to? How loud do they want to, how big is their room? All the stuff that you need to figure out before you can kind of know what kind of loudspeakers you need and what kind of a budget they've got. I'm just trying to, th I'm just wanting to put them in the absolute best pair of speakers that I can so that when they leave, they are blown away. I wasn't mercenary from speaker a to speaker B. And I really wasn't mercenary about speakers. I was just, Inside, I was kind of thrilled if somebody was looking at speakers as opposed to somebody that might be looking for an amplifier because I knew I'm going to make more money. I'm just going to make more money. And it was for me, that was just luck of the draw. I do know people that can be very mercenary and, and, and are constantly calculating. Everything's got a dollar on it. I'm just not wired that way. I'm not throwing rocks at people that are wired that way. I'm just. It's just not how I see the world. It's not. And then you think about the matrix and you think about this whole notion of reality versus perception. And am I, am I perceiving this right? And what if I were to change my thinking? What if I could shift? What if I could shift my thinking just a little bit? How much difference would it make? And intellectually, 
and even emotionally, I believe it can make a big difference. Do you, do you believe that? Now I'm not, I don't believe in manifestation. I don't believe in law of attraction. I, sorry, I just don't, I don't buy it. What I do believe is I do believe that the way we think about something that absolutely drives our belief system and that drives what we do. And of course, what we do produces different results, but you and I also, we both know that there are people who they take a certain course of action. Other people who take a very similar, maybe an identical course of action. And for one, it works out. And for the other, it doesn't. And that can get hard to explain. It's like, okay, well, why did that work so swimmingly for this person? And it did not work out well at all for this other person. Well, because there's a boatload of variables is why. I mean, that's a simple explanation because none of this is happening in a vacuum. I've said it to you before when people ask me, well, well, what what would you do? Here's my situation. What, What do you think I should do? And I'm like, well, were you born in Ada, Oklahoma? To Jeff and Becky Cantrell in 1957, no. And I said, well, I was. So what I would do doesn't matter here. Time and place, worldview, and come on. I was in elementary school, and we'd go out into the hall, and we'd crouch down and put our, put our knees up in front of us, readying ourselves for a tornado drill, readying ourselves if the Russians ever hit, you know, the big red button. Yeah, like... Like putting your head between your knees was really going to help, but that was life. That was, that was life as, as I knew it. That's how I grew up. I went home and mom was home and all of my friends, their mom was home when we got out of school. Now you can make whatever judgments you want about society and how enlightened and all that we are. And I'm not taking issue. I'm just telling you that. That was just historical truth. The number of friends that I had whose parents were divorced was zero. It was just zero. The number of friends I had who went to church somewhere every Sunday was virtually 100%. I'm just saying, I'm not making a judgment here. It's just that was, that's the historical context of the world that I grew up in. And I realize it's very different. It's very different today. And for us to think that that isn't going to impact the way that we relate to money, we're crazy because it affects everything else. It's absolutely going to impact. We are seeing it happen before our eyes that a two year kind of sort of shutdown of the economy due to a pandemic and the number of people now who absolutely positively, I am not going back into the office full time, not happening. It's a big number. Oh, am I willing to come in a day here and a day there or a few days? Yeah. But if you think I'm coming in five days a week, like I did before, no, And there are millions upon millions upon millions and millions and millions of people that are saying that and they're not. In fact, it's been speculated. Well, maybe more than speculated that a lot of the baby boomer leaders, my hands in the air, those of us that are older who might've been more accustomed to butts in the seat equals productivity at work, struggling with that. Well, you might as well build a bridge and get over it because if the work can be done remotely, now I'm enough of a business guy. If the work can be done remotely, I don't know why in the world we wouldn't be jumping all over that (laughs) because the infrastructure cost the expense as a business guy. If I could operate a completely remote working company, Buddy, I'd have, I'd have done it a long time ago if it had been me. But maybe I'm not your typical baby boomer in that regard. So I'm rather fond of it. And I'm also rather fond of this new world of 
I, I don't want to be work is work and life is life. They're kind of one in the same. Have you seen this Apple? I just started watching this thing. I had to get past the first episode until it kind of started intriguing me, at least on a philosophical level. That this Apple series called Severance. Have you seen this thing? Well, I, we don't want severance, meaning we don't want to be severed. Here's the basic premise. They come to work. They get in an elevator. They go to the floor. By the time they get to the, the floor, they don't know one thing about their private life. In the elevator ride, they've been programmed as humans. They, they don't even know what their name is. They don't know where they, they don't know anything about themselves when they get to work. And one day just blends into the other. They don't even remember leaving work the day before. One day just blends into the next day. Unless they look at a calendar, they don't even know what day it is. And then when they come down from the elevator and they go out to their car and the work shifts are staggered so they don't run into one another outside of work. And if they do run into a coworker out in the real world in their private life, they have no knowledge. They don't know they work with this person because work is work and personal life is personal life. We're living in a day and age where people, we don't want that. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Okay. I digress. What do you want to do? What's your ideal outcome when it comes to your personal finances? Are you hoping to amass a $3 million number, a 10 million? I mean, is there a number? Are you think, do you think like that? Are you thinking, are you thinking cash flow, but are you thinking cash flow a little bit differently than the way I'm thinking about? It? Are you thinking cash flowing the debt? See, cause when I say cash flow, I'm not thinking about cash flowing debt. I'm thinking about cash flowing ongoing expenses like utility bills. So yeah, I want, I want heat in the winter and I want AC in the summer. Well, that's not free. So whatever amount that is, I want to be, I want to make enough money this month to pay that bill insurance health or otherwise that monthly bill is going to be X. Oh, I want to make enough money to cover that bill. You're going to put gasoline in your car this month. Well, whatever that number looks like, and well, right now it's looking pretty high. I want to make enough money that month to pay that bill in full. And I don't want to have a payment on a car and I don't want to have a payment on a house. People can say, oh, well, la-di-da. No, that, listen, that wasn't always the case. And first it came cars where we could do that with a car. And then, you know, we got to the point where we could have the house paid for. I don't plan on doing it again. I don't ever plan on having a car payment or a house payment ever again. Now I'm not saying I won't, but I'm saying that's the goal. That's the objective. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, that means there are certain, there are certain houses out there. There are certain living circumstances out there. There are certain cars out there. I, I can't afford them. I can't afford them. Oh, but you could finance it. No. You're not listening. I can't afford them. I want to cash flow life and I'm not making hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, you know, to cash flow a Ferrari, a, a pick a model. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's our relationship to money is kind of a fascinating thing. I mostly fixate on my own relationship to money and what, parts of that do I need to work on? Do I have some unhealthy relationships with money? Do I have some unhealthy relationships with income? Do I have some unhealthy relationships with investments? Do I have some unhealthy relationships with expenses and shopping? And the answer is yes. And I suppose we all do. I already confessed one of them to you. And that's my looking in the mirror and judging myself not you, not anybody else, which I know sounds kind of crazy, but it's just absolutely positively true of me viewing my worth as tied to an amount of money that I might earn in any given month. 
I know that's not right, meaning I know that's not true, but there's still this feeling, there's still this emotion that's tied to that. There's this feeling of less than if I earn less than, which is kind of crazy because I can look back over my life and, okay, here was a period of time where I earned X. Here's a period of time when I earned 2X. Here's a period of time when I earned 10X. Here's a period of time when I earned half of X. The same human being. I'm the same guy. Well, how, how does the same... Okay, so you were worth more here than there. Well, yeah, okay, financially maybe. But intrinsically as this human... No, I know that that's ludicrous. I know that that's ridiculous. So that's one area where I know I can improve. I can improve my relationship to income. So what are these areas? What are these areas that we could, that we could improve when it comes to how we can, how we relate to our personal finances and how we manage our finances. And I guess for me, one of the, one of the big ones is just how can we how can we avoid the whole comparison structure that surrounds us did you hear he he's thinking about buying the adjacent property how how's he going to do that uh-huh. and an hour later you're wrapping up the conversation about it only to realize you know whether he does or whether he doesn't has no impact on my life. The price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. And my suspicion is Sometimes we're not making the best exchange. A lot of folks worry. A lot of people are fretting. A lot of relationships. A lot of marriages are blown up. Because we're exchanging an awful lot of things for money. Or for the pursuit of money. The value's not in the things. But you know that already. The values in the relationships. And I know that you think the relationships are largely based on things. And I guess they could be. If you're surrounded by shallow people, they certainly could be. I hope that's not the case. I hope the people that love you, they don't love you for what you can do for them financially. Prior to hitting record... I was scrolling through an article about people who had won big sums of money, whether through the lottery or some other means, sudden, you know, sudden wealth, sudden winnings. And the stories were pretty dark and pretty sad. And not all the numbers were fantastical. I mean, one is $20,000. They had some debt. They had some financial burdens due to health issues and the 20 grand really helped but it blew up some family relationships because family came out of the woodwork thinking well you got you got 20 grand i i I need some of that i deserve some of that Mm -hmm. 20 grand really family and friends because you got 20 grand and you're not going to part with some of it to give it to me and that's man we, we can behave very unseemly when it comes to money So I guess my parting shot is think very seriously about the relationship that you've got with money. We would probably all do well to try our best to have a more healthy relationship with money, whatever that may be. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Modern tales of an ancient pursuit. And boy, financial pursuits, pretty ancient. My name is Randy Kentrell. Greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio.